0: And I, one of the greatest honors to me was to, to be able to interview Pastor Thompson and, and Ms. Polly. That was just a great moment um, that I got to do... What in the world? Swindle, did you do that? Bagwell did that, okay. It's a great thing we're preaching about forgiveness today. I've been blotted out of the picture. Well, it was... Thank you. It was a really great night. And in that night, we heard from people who could talk to us about forgiveness because almost four years ago, on June the 17th, 2015, Dylan Roof came into that Wednesday night Bible study. He sat there through the Bible study. During the closing prayer, he began to murder the people. He shot 77 bullets, killed nine people. It was an awful scene. It was Anthony Thompson, you see up there, whose wife was actually leading the Bible study. It was Miss Polly that you see, who was hiding under the table. He asked her if he'd shot her yet. She says no, and he says, I'm leaving you to tell the story. So who better to tell us about forgiveness? So this morning, I want to make a few simple points about forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is beautiful to behold. Why do you think almost 900 people, I, I counted 1,264, um, why do you think almost 900 people showed up at this building on Monday night? Why do you think every media outlet in Montgomery were here? Because this is not normal behavior. When people forgive someone who's done them so awfully wrong, we have to stand up and we have to say, you know, that's, that's amazing. It's actually beautiful. That Pastor Thompson could forgive, that God moved him to forgive two days after the shooting. That when Dylan Thompson was having his sentencing hearing, that the people of that church went and they stood and they looked him in the eye and said, we forgive you and God would forgive you if you had turned to him. We all stand up and we go, that is beautiful. Some of our favorite stories in the Bible. You've got Joseph who is sold into slavery by his brothers who decades later they come begging for help not even knowing who he is and he forgives them when they think that he would murder them. We see Stephen who's preaching the gospel and the Jewish people get so mad that they begin to stone him. And he says to God in the middle of the rocks pounding his body to the earth, Father, do not hold this against their charge. Where did he learn that? My friends, he learned it from our Savior who owned the cross, being taunted by his own creation, with spit running down his face and blood out of his veins, with his back ripped from being scourged, and every breath painful took a breath, and said to his Father in heaven, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is the most beautiful line in my estimation that Jesus ever said. And it's the line that I just can't get over because of that amazing forgiveness. So forgiveness is so beautiful. Now, I do think we need to make one distinction here as we're talking about this. There is a difference between forgiveness and pardon. You know, Pastor Thompson didn't turn to the judge after he forgave Dylan Roof and say, he needs to get out of prison. There are still consequences. The Bible still says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. You give out mercy. So forgiveness is beautiful, but we've got to say this today. Forgiveness is difficult to extend. It's just really difficult. Reverend Thompson was saying, what God said to him... After his wife was murdered, and he's struggling, he heard the voice of God say, You preach to your church so many times. If your mother, wife, or child mean more to you than me, they mean too much. And you said to your church, If you lose them, what will you do? And now he faced that moment. And I would say that God gave him supernatural power to forgive. It it would take only the act of God for someone to be to forgive that in two days. I think it's like praying for a miracle physically. You know, we pray for sick people and, and we go, God, would you heal them? And sometimes God heals them on the spot. And boy, do we get excited. But sometimes God chooses to work through medicine or whatever and it's a slow process. I think forgiveness is the same way. There are times where someone does you so wrong, and you're, you're shocked that you can forgive them, and it's, it's actually supernatural. But for most of us, it's a process, and it's a painful process, and it's extremely difficult. And so today, we want to talk about that, because the dilemma for me and the dilemma for you is not to talk about this or preach about this, but actually to practice it when it happens. It's so different. When your mother abused you and you faced Mother's Day. When your father abandoned you. When your spouse divorced you. When your best friend rejects you. When the tech minister blots you out. <laughs> thank you. When God doesn't answer your prayer for a spouse and you're still single. When the drunk driver kills your child. It's a process, my friends. Jesus knew that we'd struggle with this, so he talked a lot about forgiveness. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to look on your phone or Bible to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, he's just talking about when your brother has sinned, that you go bring them back and you forgive them, and that's hard. And Peter's quite puffed up, thinking he's finally got this topic down pat. And so in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Peter says, Up to seven times? He expects Jesus to applaud him. Because the Jewish rabbis of that day said, You needed to forgive someone up to three times, but no further, because they said something that sounds like us. If you've forgiven someone three times, and they still not changed, they must not be genuine. And so Peter thinks, oh, my goodness, I'm going to make Jesus so proud. I'm going to double what the rabbis say, and I'm going an to add one. And Jesus goes, wow, Peter, you've got it finally. And then listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations say seven times 70. Is Jesus saying, okay, once you get to 75, 76, uh, stop? No, no, no. He's using that seven number that's infinite. What he's saying is you put it all together, and what I am calling you is that you're going to have to have that infinite forgiveness of people. And then Jesus tells a really great parable. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. Remember that God's represented by this king. We're the servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Now, just stop there for a moment. That's that's a ridiculous number. It, it, it's a number that we we would say today. If you, it's hard to translate that into to dollars, but it's in the millions. The the figure Jesus gives here is more than every currency in in circulation in Judea in that day. And, and so Jesus throws out this absurd number. He said since and so this guy, he owes all this. Obviously, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. It's not going to work. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything that's hilarious. He never could. Here's what's really, really beautiful. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now the story takes a Jesus twist. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. In our day, that would be about $25. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. Look what happens. This servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Have you heard those words before? They are the exact words the man who owed millions of dollars said to the master. Be patient with me. I'm going to pay you back. You think at that moment the light bulbs can come on and he's remember His master has forgiven him for millions of dollars. It's going to be easy to forgive this man of $25. But the light bulb never comes on. But he refused. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, wouldn't you be? And went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master calls this servant back You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus gives the punchline, the core of this story that you can't miss today. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. Forgiveness is beautiful. Forgiveness is difficult for all of us. But here's what Jesus is saying. Forgiveness is essential for life. It's not going to work on this earth. It's not going to work for eternal life. I just think about all the areas where if there's not forgiveness, things don't work. Think about a community. Think about a set of nations. Why is the Middle East the place where there's never peace? Because I'll tell you the reason, in my estimation, is because there's not a strong value of Christianity. Christianity is the only world religion that treats and talks about forgiveness this way. And so what do you do in the Middle East? They bomb you, you bomb them back. They bomb you, you bomb them back harder. It's a never-ending cycle no matter how many presidents we go through and how many peace because there's not a good concept of forgiveness. And let me just be very blunt with you this morning. This is what I'm afraid of in our own country is that we are getting to the same point because we're losing our Christian values that we are forgetting how to forgive people especially in public. And so now if someone has done something 30 or 40 years ago, we immediately say they're not worthy. And then our two political parties throw the bombs back and forth. They throw the bomb over here, they throw back. The attitude is if someone hits me, I'm going to hit them back stronger. No longer do we compromise, no longer do we talk. Each other are the enemies. We demean each other, we make fun of each other. My friends, if our country carries down this line, we are going to destroy our country. Because when there's not forgiveness in a home, in a country, in a community, it won't exist. You see, what Reverend Thompson said to us Monday night was, Dylan Roof's goal was to start a race war. He thought if he walked into this African American church and slaughtered those people, they would become so mad that they would retaliate and in a very mixed city in Charleston, like Montgomery, that it would end up being a war. But because forgiveness was chosen, and not retribution and retaliation, there was peace. Guys, you've got to have this personally. Your life's not going to be very good if you carry around bitterness and unforgiveness. I, well, I know it's naturally natural, but personally... What Jesus is saying is, you're not going to make it. I love what Miss Polly said that night when I was asking her how in the world she could forgive after watching that slaughter. She said, I forgave Dylan Roof for me. And guys, that's what forgiveness is about. Reverend Thompson said, I took control away from him. You see, what Dylan Roof wanted to do is he wanted to control their behavior. And when we won't forgive someone and we're bitter towards someone, it controls us. And the only way for you to get control back of your life is to forgive. The line was used that we've all used unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's you that it destroys. So you've got to have it in your community. You've got to have it in your own heart. And what Jesus said here, I'll remind you, is that for you to make it to eternal life, you've got to forgive. I don't know how much blunter Jesus could put it than the words we just read. This is how your Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. My friends, what Jesus teaches is there is no forgiveness for the unforgiving. Boy, that's tough. Why would Jesus make such a big deal about this? Why would Jesus say, your eternal life is sort of on the line here? Here's the answer our, our last point here. Because forgiveness is rooted in Christ. You see, Colossians 3 puts it as simple as possible. Forgive. Forgive. As the Lord forgave you. That's our standard. And so the reason Jesus is so challenging about us and not forgiving is because when we don't forgive, it shows that we don't understand. What it shows is that, that we don't get how much we've been forgiven. You see, here's the truth, if we be honest. God has forgiven the unforgivable in you so that you can forgive the unforgivable in someone else. Uh, Romans chapter 3 says, There's none good, no, not one, until you understand your desperation and how much you had offended God so badly that he had to give his son, you'll never understand forgiveness. So the root problem, why forgiveness is such a big issue, is because it shows that we don't understand the gospel, we don't get it. So, today we want to get it. And guys, we we just got to say this, guys, this is radical. It is so difficult. And I didn't want to leave you Monday night with it all looking so simple, because for most of us, it's not that simple. In fact, I'd like to to interview uh, Jessica Swindle a little bit about this. If y'all grab those stools and bring them up here. Most of you know Jessica, Jeremy, our worship leader's wife, and a valuable part of our worship team, and just a wonderful person. But I want you to know, as we get settled here, that Mother's Day is not normally a good day for her. And I know there's a lot of you, many of us, who have lost our mother. This is not easy. But Jessica's really experienced more than just the loss of her mother, she actually felt like she lost her a long time ago. Jessica, tell us when you first knew your mom had big issues.
1: Uh, eight years old. Um, I was in the second grade, and um, life was normal, I guess, or what I knew was normal. Um, normal day, normal routine, and I came home um, to my grandparents' house, and my mom and dad were there, which wasn't normal. Um, I can remember the smell of the kitchen I can remember where I was standing I was 8 <laughs> so um, I don't know It's just etched in my brain but um, dad told us that um, mom had gotten in some serious trouble at work um, she was a nurse and uh, she had been struggling with some back issues and neck issues and She had had surgery and stuff, and um, anyway, she had written a script and uh, forged the doctor's signature on it, and I had gotten caught, and I didn't know what all that meant. I just remember, I mean, that was the story that we were told, and that um, she was going to have to go away for a while um, to get some help. And uh, so, at eight years old, they told us that we were moving in with my grandparents, and that mom was going to a 90-day... Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Center.
0: So you're, you're, you're just a child. How did this affect you growing up?
1: Oh, man. Um, one of the things I didn't say this morning in first service was I grew up really fast. Um, you know, when you're eight years old and you have a baby sister who's five, um, she doesn't get it. I mean, I really I didn't get it either. It wasn't until I was much older that it made more sense to me, but I just was forced to grow up um, quickly. Um, my sister needed me. My, my dad, I felt like, needed me, um, which is not really the way it's supposed to work, but um, that was the way it was working. Um, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of just anger and I don't know, embarrassment and. Um, I felt like, you know, all eyes were on me. We lived in a little tiny town um, of about 2,000 people. So you can imagine what that's like. You know, everybody knows everybody and the news is, you know, my mom is a druggie. And so um, I always felt like there was this pressure on me to behave a certain way or not behave a certain way. And that, you know, I felt like I was somebody was always waiting for me to mess up, waiting for my sister to mess up. Um, you know, things were good for a while after rehab, but you know, it was always that carried that stigma around with us.
0: So you're, you're on this roller coaster ride, you know, struggling with all this pressure. When I talked to you earlier, the, what really got my attention and showed the depth of your hurt. Was the question you asked your mother over and over? What was that question?
1: Um, I ask her a lot of times, I think, growing up. I I mean, I actually, thinking through this, remember a couple of times where there were some screaming matches going on between the two of us. and, And I just constantly ask her, you know, why are we not enough? Why? me, my sister, my dad, the life we built, the home that we had, why was that not enough to sustain you, to to be enough in this life? Like, why, what were we not being able to fulfill in her life? And I yelled it. I mean, I, not the best moments of my life, but I did. And
0: That's well, it's extremely understandable. So just fast forward a little bit. Your mother passes away uh, at age forty five from a destroyed liver you're you 're married and you 've just had dylan he 's six months old. What were your feelings and how did you react when your mother passed away suddenly there
1: it was in a' it's in a range of, of emotions, a layer upon layer upon layer um, you know while I was really i mean shocked we weren 't expecting this i mean it was wasn't a thing we were prepared for. Um, She was sober at the time and had been for a a little bit, but, you know, it wasn't something that we even knew she was sick to worry about. So there was a layer of shock. There was a layer, obviously, of like just complete devastation and sadness because, I mean, she's my mom. But then there was this, I don't know, relief, I think, that you know, and you've been battling something like that and, and fighting through that for a long time. I mean, eight years old. And and it was just apparently, you know, just it had been going on longer than that. But, I mean, you just, there's this relief. Shameful to say that. But, I mean, it was just like, okay, we can all breathe. You know, this is over with.
0: But at the same time, you there's this sense of anger and anger. In bitterness, what, what was that like?
1: The anger was, I thought at first, was just that phase of grief that you go through. Um, you know, everybody goes through that. And I thought, well, that's just what that is. But it became different. Um, the anger was to the point that I didn't have one good thought about my mom. I couldn't tell you a good thing about her in conversation, um, people would say, oh, you remind me so much of your mother. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want that.
0: So you start this process. And I think that's why I love hearing your story because it's not two days. What were some of the pivotal moments in you coming to a place where you could forgive your mom?
1: I, you know, ultimately it was, I was just tired of being angry. Mm-hmm. I was tired of, you know, having it eat me alive because that's what it was doing. Um, When you can't say anything good about a mom who loved you fiercely, there's a problem. I mean, even though she had a lot of struggles and and a long time battle. Tell them
0: about her personality. Oh man, she was
1: fun. Um, I mean, I can say this now, but she was was just a fun person. Um, Always joking, always laughing. Um, she had a laugh that would like light up a room Um, she was the jokester the the life of the party Um, you know just always doing things for others she never missed a ball game I was in she never missed an event I was a part of I mean just just a fun lady
0: so you've now got where you can talk about her good so what happened in between You, you got tired of it what I did. were some other steps?
1: I got tired of it. I I was, you know, I'd had a great support system through all of it. I mean, we moved um, and started ministry at the very beginning of her death. Um, Jeremy graduated from college um, uh, less than a week after she passed away. We moved um, to Kentucky and started ministry. And, um, you know, so God placed these women, these strong, beautiful women in my life that I was talking to someone afterwards and it's like, they showed me what normal was like. Um, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it looked like to be, you know, a mom that was always there, a mom that was, you know, not sick. And so they put these women in my life that showed me that there is normalcy, that you, you know, what I had was not. And, um, that that's okay, but that there's better, um, and that I could do that, you know, that I could do, but, but I had to get to a point where I let go of all of that. If I wanted to be able to be the mom and the wife that I was meant to be and that I was seeing, you know, and I had, of course I had Jeremy, I mean one of the strongest men I know. Uh, he just held me up. What did
0: he, he said something to you that was oh, a yeah. really big He I
1: mean, we had lots of conversations, um, but one of the things that we were having probably on Mother's Day, that was always when our conversations came up, but one of the times he said, you know, I really, I think God saved her. I think he answered our prayers, um, not obviously in the way that we wanted because um, we're selfish and i wanted her here with me and i wanted her whole but he was like honey she's healed she's where she needs to be and this was the way that god was going to be able to keep her that way um was by taking her home
0: oh, i want this group to get the, the same context they got first service how old were you when you first started dating jeremy <laughs> oh
1: come on <laughs> I was 16. And, and how he, old was Jeremy? Okay, he clarified. He was 21 the first oh, okay. time. Oh,
0: okay. oh, I saw him get angry there. Yeah, yes.
1: 21 the first time. We went out 22 the second date.
0: So, is that better? <laughs> Good job, Jeremy. Good job. Okay. So, let's, let's, let's go a little uh, further here. Um, I know it's still not easy, but how have you been able to now redeem Mother's Day?
1: Well, I mean, one, there's not the bitterness that was there for so many years. Um, it's, it's freeing <laughs> um, to not have that there. Um, there. I'm able to sit here and I'm, I can tell you what a wonderful woman she was um, in spite of her sickness, because that's what it was. Um, I can tell my kids about you know what a great grandmother they would have had. Um, the fun that she had. We can laugh about her and the stories, and, and remember her in a in a positive light. Um, but I also, you know, I came to a point where I was like, my boys deserve better. Um, they don't. They didn't deserve that. They mm-hmm. they don't. Mother's Day shouldn't be about what I lost. It should be about what they have. Um. It should be about what I had, the good parts, not yeah. the bad. And even though I had a lot of bad growing up, it made me who I was, and I needed to be able to celebrate that and let my boys celebrate me. Amen. So
0: So w- one more question, because we'll tie this back into what we're talking about today and, and also into what we're about to um, remember in communion How did the forgiveness of Christ motivate you to be able to do this?
1: You read in scriptures a lot about, you know, how God tells us to forgive others and how um, he forgave us. And, you know, I kept going back to God forgave me. Um, He redeemed me. He redeemed her. He saved her. I have to know that. I have to, you know, deep down, I have to know that to be okay. That she's okay. Yes. Um, and I, it's like, I got when you were saying that about um, Reverend Anthony saying, you know, he forgave because it was for me. Yeah. And that's what it is. It was for me. I had to do that. And, and it says in Scripture that I needed to do that. Yes. And if I was going to be the wife, the mother... The minister that I am called to be, I needed to be able to let that go and follow the scriptures and do as my God had asked me to do.
0: So we come to a really perfect time to take communion because as we go to these tables, we're reminded of the body and blood of Jesus. If you're our guest, we invite you to participate. Uh, this is our time to go, wow, God is this forgiving. And so I want to challenge you today. Because this is going to help you throughout your life, is to go to the tables today, partake of communion, and just not go on a guilt trip, but remember how gracious and forgiving God's been for you. And also be thankful that you're in second service, not first service, because in first service, I prayed the prayer for the bread. Then I offered the invitation in between that and the cup, and it was quite confusing. And if you want some Church of Christ people to be upset with you, fool with communion, okay? So I had to remind them that they had to forgive me, okay? It was pretty crazy. So today, we get to do it all together. Good, y'all give Jessica a hand for being so wonderful? Thank you. So let's pray together. Father, we love... Stories of forgiveness. We love what we've just heard. And yet, God, we would acknowledge that it's so difficult. And I thank you for Jessica's story that probably more matches some of our stories. And, and that's okay. But, Lord, we have to acknowledge this morning that we would have no clue how to forgive, would probably not even be motivated to forgive. The world would say you should never forgive that. But we can do it because you have forgiven us. And as we go to these tables today, we're not going there to feel guilty. We're going there to celebrate what the body and the blood of Jesus mean. That because Jesus took all of our sins upon himself, that we are released, that we are free, that we are forgiven. So bless this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You just sung about God's amazing, reckless love. Now we get a chance to respond to that love. I want to close with this quotation from Anthony Thompson, Monday Night. If, If this is how you begin this journey, begin by asking God to forgive you, and then ask Him to help you forgive others. You you see, there's no way that you'll have the power to do this until you first accept your own forgiveness. You know, one of my kairos moments over the last few months has been, I'm really good at extending forgiveness to someone else. I was talking to a young man not too long ago, struggling with lots of issues, and you know, as a man, you've asked God a thousand times to forgive you. you got to forgive yourself. And then I got in the car and I thought, my goodness, I don't even practice that myself. I just keep beating myself up about things I've done. And so the same grace that I extend to others, I need to accept for myself. And today, it's going to start with you accepting the forgiveness of God. It's there. All you've got to do is accept it. We've talked about how you call upon the name of the Lord the last two weeks. That's why baptism is so important. Because it puts your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Scripture clearly says... It is for the forgiveness of sins. So if you've never been baptized today, and you want to walk out of here guilt-free, completely forgiven, then come up here and you'll be baptized. You can leave here. And then, the second part of this is, after we've been forgiven now, we've got to ask God's help to forgive others. This is not natural. So now... Out of our forgiveness now, God empowers us, just like Jessica, to, to be able to say, you know, I'm going to work through this. I know this is not God's will for me. I know this is ruining me. I want to get there, and you can get there. But you're going to need God's help. And so we sing in just a moment. I want to give you two different ways to respond to this invitation. Number one, if you've never been baptized, meet me up here. We'll do it. Number two, if you're struggling with forgiveness of, of someone in your life, we still got the crosses that were left up from Monday night. What we did at the end of our worship Monday night is said, you take this little piece of paper and write down the name of the person that you're struggling to forgive. And go to the place of forgiveness. Go to the cross and clip it on that cross. In, in both of these corners below the crosses, we have cards and pens and clips. You don't have to say anything to me. You don't have to say anything out loud, but... The way you forgive is to go to the cross. The way you're saved is to go to the cross in baptism. And so today you have both of those options. And that's the foundation you build off. My favorite moment Monday night that just took me aback was the last question I asked Miss Polly Shepard, she was quite a character. I said, Miss Polly, how has this ordeal changed your relationship with God? She answered with two words— It didn't. And at first I was taken back. like, come on. You're kidding me. This hasn't changed your relationship with God? And then I thought, better. No, no, no. The reason she did what she did is because she already had this relationship with God. And my friends, all of us are going to hit that moment of trial, of temptation, when we're bitter towards someone. And, And this is the foundation you build on. You see, the trial, the bitterness... It doesn't build your faith, it simply reveals your faith. And so, if you need to come to these crosses today, then come, because God wants to forgive you completely. Back to our story. When someone was in terrible debt in that day, here is their bankruptcy system. You would take a sheepskin and you'd write on the back side of it everything you owed. You would go to the city gates and you would nail it there for people to see. And your hope was some rich person would come by, see your debt, and pay it. That was your only hope to get out of it. And if they did, this is what they would do. They would take that sheepskin, fold it over, nail it back on the wall. They would write one Greek word on the sheepskin... To Telestai, which is the very word Jesus used on the cross when he said, it is finished. In financial terms, what it said was, the debt is paid. And that's what Jesus would like to do for you today. If you need to respond anyway, do it right now while we stand and sing.